You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to bring a digestible dose of culture for all. Michelle Corey here, and you're listening to another week of the inspiring, wonderful, and amusing Cultured Podcast. And I am here with a very special guest who is quietly giggling right next to me, Brandon Sadler, aka Rising Red Lotus. How are you, Brandon? I'm well. Welcome, uh, and thank you for coming. I appreciate your energy. <laughs> your what level, do you mean? Your level is. Uh, are, can you meet me or? I'm trying. It's just different personality types. Yeah, I think so too. But I, that's why I like you so much and that's why you're on the show because you're interesting, you're calming, you're talented. Okay, mm. enough about you, Brandon. Seriously, you. it can't all be about you. So today we're going to talk a lot about uh, art as cultural expression, which I'm sure isn't very shocking for you. And we'll get into that a little bit later. You see that titillating tease? Yeah, yeah. you got to do yeah. that. <laughs> So, like every single week, we start the episode talking about what's inspired me this week, and it's not a far stretch. Identity is inspiring me this week, um, and I think that that's a pretty hot topic in today's society, especially in the United States, but it's kind of always been a hot topic for me mm-hmm. and a point of contention for me even, um, being someone who's very light-skinned but has zero American blood in me and having uh, grandparents and parents from all these different places and being born in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and then experiencing a lifetime of people kind of interpreting my identity for me and telling me what I am and am not. And I think it's a perfect connection to this episode with you because I can imagine you've experienced something similar. Yeah, definitely the same experience because I'm of mixed descent as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Directly, like, mother and father, but then also, like, through lineage, I'm sure. Right. Um, and I, as a, I guess, a m- presumed uh, minority mm-hmm. and as mixed descent, like, you always endure those kind of judgments mm-hmm. or misjudgments, I guess, um, as to what you are or where you come from. Exterior labels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what is your ethnic lineage? Uh, <laughs> sounds so formal. <laughs> like, what? Uh, my mom is black and my dad is white, so I'm like the standard, you know, of, <laughs> standard like, issue, the original uh, <laughs> mixed race uh, human. So yeah, but then outside of that, um, like on my mom's side is like Pamunkey Indians in Virginia. Wow. Um, and on my dad, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm kind of up in the air on that. But. Have you ever wanted to do one of those like genealogy tests that definitely. breaks it down for you? I definitely do. Just because of the way, um, I guess my, my family structure is like, we kind of don't know what there is to know. So that would be, um, shed a lot of light, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I've been, I've always been fascinated. By, well, not always. Cause this is like a new service that's offered <laughs> since the internet, <laughs> even before it was offered. I was like, somebody let me send you my DNA. Yeah. Um, I mean, it helps you internet. understand who you are and understand, um, I guess like have a point of reference. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, we're in a time right now where, and I think about this almost daily in trying to move away from labels. I think we've created more labels than ever before, (laughs) which is kind of an interesting conundrum and irony, obviously. 
I think it's very comforting to have a sense of identity that is verbal, that mm-hmm. you can put words around, you know, like mixed race or uh, polyglot or uh, multiracial, whatever it is, um, to be able to call yourself something that feels right. So I guess that's why I want to look at my genealogy. But also, actually, I want to look at it because there are studies that show that if you eat what your ancestors ate, you'll be the healthiest version of yourself. I could believe that. I mean, if you were born of a of a people that came from a particular region and they had a particular set of foods and ways of living and you kind of went back to that, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure your DNA would react. Yeah. I'm but, not going to lie to you. Like, I could probably subsist on, like, rice yeah. and plantains. I'm trying to figure out what my food would be. I don't know what my food would be. I had to think about that. Yeah. Get back to us. Yeah. Water, like, water is definitely, like, just being around water and being around trees is mm-hmm. definitely one thing. Um, like, making things with your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, things that you need. Yeah. Me talking to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I could take or leave that. This is pleasant, though. So I, Thank you. Yeah, I think so, nice. too. Great. That's a great segue. Yeah. A pleasant conversation. I think we talked a little bit about, you know, identity. I want to hear from you guys how you identify and what you think of identity. And if you've ever struggled with it or if it's always come very naturally to you, we want to hear your perspectives, too. So obviously give us a shout on all the socials and all the channels. So today we're going to talk about Brandon and his artwork and art as a forum for cultural and identity expression. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the motivation behind your artwork? Oh, well, that's, I guess that's a loaded uh, answer, <laughs> but the motivation would be, um, I guess, understanding on all fronts. So understanding of yourself, understanding of yourself within a environment, be that with other people or with, you know, just society at large or then understanding um exterior things so things that had nothing to do with you but yeah um you uh witness hmm. so i guess yeah understanding and connection it, for me it used to be something that i had to do because i wanted to make something or i had to make something beautiful or but now it's become more purposeful and more intentional hmm. whereas some people like like for you maybe uh you talk about it or um, investigate it and find information about it. And whereas all the information that I funnel comes down into like a narrative image mm-hmm. or, um, into some artistic manifestation. Yeah. yeah so it's fascinating. I think also, um, you just recently released a film that was your idea and it's called nothing is sacred mm-hmm. and you star in it, you direct it, right? Well, it's a, yeah, it's a mutual direction between myself and Andrew Litton. He's a cinematographer. And it's beautiful. It's striking. Um, but one thing that caught my attention more than anything is your movement, your physical movement mm-hmm. in it, and your brush strokes. First of all, we should clarify that uh, most of your artwork centers around um, Asian imagery and specifically around Japanese imagery. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of Rising Red Lotus pieces around Atlanta, um, including one mural on Irwin Street that is, what, 100 feet wide? Uh, probably, yeah, give or take. Yeah, no big deal. A hundred feet wide by, let's say, Uh, six feet? Sixteen. Six. No, uh, ten feet. Ten feet high. Um, and they're koi fish? Or no, that one's goldfish. This one's goldfish. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, 
breathtaking, but um, your artwork has sort of evolved, at least how I've seen it evolve, is moving from actual figures like fish or uh, people to now lettering and calligraphy. Um, and that's a lot of what you do in this film is these acts of calligraphy that represent three different animals or spirits, right? Yeah, you want me to? Yeah. Um, so nothing is sacred. Like I, to, For me, well, in my opinion, life is about duality, mm. in which case you have a choice to make between the two things that you're presented. And so first with the title, Nothing is Sacred, I like to give the audience um, an option to take that on the darker side, which is like, oh, man, nothing is sacred. It's like everything's bleak. Or nothing is sacred on a positive side where like the nothingness of ego, the nothingness of quiet time, the nothingness of uh, contemplation and introspection mm-hmm. is sacred. Mm-hmm. And so like that moment for me, like that moment of complete stillness is what is cherished and what's valued. And so that's the title. And within it, it's a story about the tiger, the mantis and the snake. Mm-hmm. And those are like these personified uh, embodiments of these calligraphy styles that I have. So much like uh, like a Kung Fu or any martial arts style where animals are used to describe the uh, mannerisms of, of whatever technique it is, it's the same with these writing styles. So the tiger is um, more bold and uh, hard and like more uh, immediate. Mm-hmm. And it represents the body and is also represented by the element of fire. And the mantis is uh, the spirit, and it is represented by the element of air. Mm-hmm. And it's more calculated and more patient and more sharper. Um, yeah. And the snake is represented by the, um, the element of water, and it's the mind. And so it has more calligraphic, more um, fluid strokes. And so in the film, you go to the tiger's landscape, which is like kind of like rundown warehouse it has like an element of destruction because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that kind of comes with the spirit of the tiger. Um, it's like beauty, but also a, a danger of destruction there. Destruction, but also survival because yeah. the, the, the structure holds. Right. Yeah. So like you can enter into this space where you see the aftermath, but you're still there, mm-hmm. um, which I'm glad you touched on that because that, that's also there with the duality. It's like, do you only see the one aspect of it or do you see all things? And so... The mantis, uh, you enter into uh, a bamboo forest, which for me is like a place of uh, serenity or a place of like you go to find yourself or to, you know, talk to God, mm-hmm. um, however you see that. and To ground yourself, yeah. to center. And yeah. so, so then you go to the snake and that's by the river, you know, of course, because it has to be with water. And actually a, a anecdotal thing, uh, when me and Andrew, the, the cinematographer that I worked with, uh, went out to the location. This uh, like huge black snake was going down on the trail, and it was on the same day that we went out to go film the snake part. No. Yeah, and uh, it was like this serendipitous moment. It was it was kind of crazy. And so like in the in the film, that snake is not stock footage. Like that was like we actually found it that day that we went to go That's film. That's beautiful. We, we had wrapped for the day, and we were leaving. And like on the way out, like it was on the trail, and we were like just like shoot that, shoot that, and. That's amazing. Yeah. He caught it. Yeah, it worked. That's amazing. So um, did you know Andrew already? And yeah. did you already know that when you came up with this concept that he needed to be your partner in it? 
Well, I knew he needed to be my partner, and we had worked together on a, like an expose art film for um, ABV. Mm. It's ABV Gallery. Um, he was like a video intern there. Like he was doing all their video work. Oh, very cool. And that's Greg Mike's. Greg Mike's. He's gallery. another yeah. huge artist here in Atlanta, but I mean, nationally renowned at this point. Yeah. So Andrew was working with them, uh, doing the video work, and he created this like really beautiful um, expose, uh, little short snippet. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'd want to work with him again. And so I wrote and co-directed with Andrew Litton. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Litton did the cinematography and, like, all the film direction. Yeah. And then, I, like, I, I had the concept of, like, how I wanted what the, the story to represent. Mm-hmm. And I sent that out to a friend of mine in Korea, um, Chris Balduck. And he wrote, because he's a very good writer, and he wrote it in, like, this very poetic um, yeah, it's amazing. Way he has like this uh, intensely Japanese uh, way of writing, where it's deliberate and to the point, but poetic at the same time, and not overly flower flowery, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, yeah, he's like he's like Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, he's it- also green and tiny. <laughs> um, he's not, but so I wanted to to have it like the old Yakuza films mixed with a. Uh, a kung fu flick and so it had to have like yellow subtitles and so we sent that to Ta- takamura the the transcript and he did the voiceover and to avoid any like licensing complications and also to have it like be complete artistic freedom uh we got original uh score uh done by um omar F- ferrer that's so cool yeah he um like i was sitting in the studio with him and he's like playing on the keyboard completely composing this uh score for the film was that the first time you'd ever first had time. that done everything everything was the first for you yeah the very first what was that like um the i mean process and then the outcome i mean the process was exciting i mean we had no budget on it um we we're just very like pure passion you know and going out to the woods and going to like different like the bamboo forest was behind the house in bankhead but you would like yeah. you would like never know it i was wondering where that was because yeah. i knew it was around here I don't know. I think, I think the process was one of those things where one, it was foreign to me and, and exciting because we're kind of making it up as you go. Like you have a vision for it, mm-hmm. but because it's film, you don't really know what the outcome is going to be. So there's always like challenges where we had to improvise on the fly. Yeah. Um, and ironically, like everything that we shot over a year for the most part got scrapped and then we shot again for like another couple months. And, no way. Yeah, and that was that was what we used. Why is that? I think that everything that we had shot before that didn't kind of fulfill what we were looking for. So So tell me why um you went with this Japanese motif, these Japanese symbols and even Japanese language. Um we were talking about connection in in terms of like how I look at art mm-hmm. or how I look at what I create and Coming from, well, I, I used to do graffiti, um, you know, way back. And coming from that school, basically, I started researching anime and uh, calligraphy and woodblock prints mm. and finding like complete parallels between the two art forms. So things like flat color and line are heavily used in graffiti, but then also used in Yukioe woodblock prints mm. and in um, anime. So I found connections there and then looking at uh, when you have to develop your hand style uh, doing tags and like the immediacy of like 
spirit and how that articulates into like written word mm -hmm. um, is the same principles in Zen calligraphy, like a moment in time recorded on paper through some form of mark making. Mm -hmm. um, and it's usually um, written word of some sort. Reframing it in the way that you just did is is fascinating. Like mm. you don't realize, and and actually that's part of the film that I wanted to mention. I connected the most with was this um, talking about duality and dichotomy. Was your movements with the brush strokes were at once almost like an attack and an embrace mm. of of that moment. It was fascinating to see how, first of all, how the way that you moved really did embody these spirit animals um, like the tiger and the mantis and the snake very much so, but then also how your own expression with, with the lettering, with the brushstrokes was within and without itself. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, it was both, it was almost like war and peace. Yeah. And that's, that's like Buddhism and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the philosophy of it, the yin and the yang. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's something that um, I just try to embrace through all things mm. um, and cultural connectivity. Like when you speak about what I came up doing versus what I learn about in the world and how I find myself within those two things, mm -hmm. um, because it's not that much different where I'm concerned. Um, you t you mentioned like how you felt uh, growing up, you know, mixed descent and how people perceived you and like how you kind of found yourself in that. Like I grew up, it's a kind of a cliche, but it's kind mm -hmm. of a shame that it's a cliche. So growing up, not black enough for the black kids and not white enough for the white kids. Like I could never wake up and be like, I'm white today, <laughs> even yeah. though like I'm, I'm literally like 50% Caucasian, like, but I could never wake up in the morning and be like, I'm white. Mm -hmm. So it's like this weird place of no placeness where I don't know where to exist. So I'm going to be ambiguous. Mm. And as I got older and my features started to change, I realized that not only could I be black most of the time, but I could also be, you know, Latino or mm -hmm. uh, some nondescript Asian from some place or um, any other like culturally ambiguous name you want to put out there. Mm -hmm. I could be that. And I think that kind of comes off in how I approach my art. Um, there's like a weird um, necessity for if you're a black artist or Latino artists or Asian artists or whatever, you have to make that perspective art. Mm. Like I have to make black art, which I feel like is not only limiting, but also like kind of a ridiculous title. Yeah. Um, well, I do what's natural to me, which is like the aesthetic that I choose and the philosophy that I adhere to. But like, I also kind of choose to not be any of those things, you know, through a category. And I enjoy what happens because some people assume that I'm making Chinese or Japanese art because of the letter forms that I create. But I'll also be using those letter forms and talking about social events that are affecting the black community mm. or the community at large in terms of like just humans. And so I, I, I just enjoy creating things that have a, a surface appeal or a surface um, label, mm -hmm. but putting them in a different context and making them more than the limited category that they look like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly why I love your art so much. In fact, the first time I ever met you, I assumed you were Asian mm -hmm. because of your art. And then 
you know, the process of getting to know you and your art and your history um, allowed me to see my own shortcomings and like the automatic labeling that happens, mm. which I think is part of what art is supposed to do is take you outside of yourself for a moment if you allow it to right. um, and shed new light in a previously dark area of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually interesting that you should say that because um, to expound on like why I use letter form so, so heavily or writing so much yeah, to shed light on something that was once dim, like you said, in your brain. So like when you go to school, I guess like the first, one of the first things that you learn outside of the social component is writing. So they teach you your alphabet. Yeah. And then from your al alphabet, then you can, you can then use the ability to make those marks and make, then make shapes. Mm. And with shapes, you can define images and make pictures. But you have to start with, with writing. And writing is also what, I guess, gives way to all these labels that we have or our ability to communicate with one another or our ability to uh, define our own reality. So it's like, to me, like the most powerful creation that man or human has ever mm -hmm. made is like the ability to harness an intangible thought or an intangible, an abstract concept, an abstract concept energy into this is what reality now is. And so I, I guess I've been experimenting with um, how to, you know, bend and then reshape my own personal reality, my own mythology, and then also the reality of those who come into contact with mm -hmm. what I'm making. Cause that's what I, I mentioned graffiti earlier and the, and the connections between the two, like that's what, graffiti did to the american reality right so like first you know all we knew is like this this is how letters look and this is how communication works and this is how understanding even works and then you put graffiti into the mix and all of a sudden you have a new a whole new culture of people a whole new type of people a whole yeah. new like understanding of space mm -hmm. and society a whole new understanding of how our language works and it's just like a beautiful thing, like and even law and community, law and community, um, bending those those rules through the use of the written word is like at the at the very core of everything to me. All right. Well, I'm not going to take any more of your time. I could ask you a million kajillion questions, but I won't. So thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for joining us. I am absolutely sure I can speak for all the listeners when I say you were a character. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your time with us. All right, guys, as always, you know what to do. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured. Love you guys. 